I will say just as we start out, you know, as we talk about this Roosevelt ministry uh, and, you know, we, we're doing the Mileage Club, we're doing an after-school program, and uh, kids are, they're great, they're phenomenal. In fact, I remember working with, I've worked with kids my whole life, and I remember one time this kid came up to me and they said, hey, are you mad at that guy? And I'm like, which guy? And they're like, the guy that ran over your face. And I'm like, what the heck? Where'd that come from? Uh, that was actually my own son. It's terrible, I know. Uh, but, you know, we have such a cool opportunity to go serve at, at Roosevelt. Uh, you know, there are 500 kids at that school. Uh, I don't know, is that like 300 families, 350 families? Uh, such an opportunity for us to go and serve. And the school has just been wide open saying, man, we'd love to have the church come in and, and do what they can. So uh, Mondays uh, from 11 to 1, we do the Mileage Club. Monday afternoons from uh, about 2 to 3, uh, something like that, we do the after-school program. And if you could carve out some time for that, uh, you know, take a late lunch, do something to make that happen. Uh, man, it's such a gift for us to be able to have the school just saying, hey, we'd love to have you come in. And uh, the doors are wide open. So... That's my plug. We'd love to have you engage with us on that. And uh, with that, we'll get started. Actually, as I was thinking about Roosevelt, I was thinking about how many of you guys remember in elementary school? I know some of you, it's a long time to remember in elementary school. But do you remember in elementary school, the games you would play to try and figure out your future, right? Like, can you picture in elementary school, can you picture the globe? And you would take this globe and you'd spin it as fast as you can. Anybody do this? And you put your finger on it. And wherever that globe stopped, that's where you were going to live. Anybody remember doing that in elementary school? Man, it would be like, how fast could I spin that thing, right? Or maybe you girls, do you remember playing MASH? MASH, it's, it was a girls game. It was mansion, apartment, shed, or house. And, and you would go through and push these little buttons or, or, you know, tap on them and figure out, like, your future. You're going to figure out where you're going to live, who you're going to marry. You guys ever do those things as, as kids? You know, what I find funny is, is even kids, they want to know what their future is going to hold. They want to figure out what is in front of me, what's ahead of me. How many, how many of us in this room would look back and think about maybe some of the decisions we've made? Uh, maybe some of the plans that we made that we just kind of plow, plowed ahead. And we made our own decisions without necessarily stopping to think, man, what would God want for me? And we did our own thing. We trusted ourselves. <laughs> And then we find out, man, I'm in a mess. I'm in a pickle because I never stopped to say, God, what do you have for me? In fact, a couple years ago, actually, it's probably almost 20 years ago, uh, my brakes were going out on my car. And I'm like, I got this. I watched a guy do brake pads once. And I'm like, I can do this. And my wife's like, Kevin, you know, Kevin, you grew up with, with a single mom. You do not have a mechanical bone in your entire body. You should call my dad. Now, ladies, Gentlemen, like, is that the worst thing that your wife can say? Call my dad. I'm not calling your dad. It's my father-in-law. Like, I don't need his help. I got this. I, again, I watched this guy do brake pads once, and I knew there's something about grease being put somewhere and something about a clamp pushing, like, fluid somewhere. I'm like, I got this, right? So I go to O'Reilly's Auto Parts, and I get the parts, and I come back to the car, and I get my car jacked up, and I get the tire off, and I'm looking at this brake assembly, and I'm like... I don't remember what I'm supposed to do here. But it's a matter of pride. So I start pulling pieces off, and, and I'm like, what do I do with this grease? And I'm throwing grease everywhere, and I'm like, mm, okay, it looks good enough to me. I put it back on. I put the tire on. I'm like, oh, I got it. I get ready for my test drive, and I start rolling the car, and there's no brakes. And the car is rolling into the, rolling into the road, and I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. 
then I had to do the, you know, the, the, the call of shame. I had to call my father-in-law. I'm like, hey, I'm in trouble. I made a mess. I will say uh, I have learned that my father-in-law, he's not here today, so I can say this and he won't get inflated ego. Uh, man, I've learned a lot from my father-in-law. I've gotten better at calling him to say, would you help me with this? And I'm thankful for that. But how many of us have done that? We're like, hey, I can figure things out on my own. I can just do my own plan, my own thing. And then we find ourselves in a mess because we never stop to say, God, what would you have me to do here? How many of us have done that in our lives? In fact, as a pastor, one of the questions that people ask me the most, one of the questions that people ask a pastor the most is, what is God's will for me? Like, I want God's blessing, but how do I know what God wants for me? How do I know which school God wants me to go? How do I know which career God wants me to, to, to pursue? How do I know who I'm supposed to marry? Like, how do I find out God's will for my life? As Christians, don't we have some funny ways to discern how we do that, right? Like we, sometimes we put fleeces out like Gideon. Like, God, give me a sign. Like, God, would you part the skies, move the clouds so I see what it is you want me to do? We, we, we pray, and God, God, give me a burning of the bosom so I know what you want me to do. Or how many of you guys ever done this? You ever just be like, God, I have this question. I don't know what to do. And you just open the Bible and put your finger somewhere, and that's going to answer the question for you. So, like, for me, I was trying to figure out, like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I have my King James Bible, and I'm like, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open the Bible and put my finger, and you tell me what you want me to do. So I have my King James Bible. I open it up. I put my finger, and it's on Numbers 22, 26, in the King James Version that said, God spoke through, it was a donkey. It was a donkey. In the King James Version, it was something else. And I'm like, all right, I guess God wants me to pre be a preacher. King James did not actually say donkey. It gets better than that. Uh, how do we find God's will for our life? How do we discern which direction God has for us, what he wants for our future, what decision we're supposed to make? We've been in the book of Acts for the majority of this year, and I've loved this series where we're trying to say, man, how does a church not just become an institution, a place where you come for religious services and you'll feel good and you go home and live just like, you know, but how does a church become a movement that touches everything around it? And it has been so good for us to read through uh, the early church to see how they became a movement, and, and it's been great. We are 16 chapters in. This 16 chapters has covered about 20 years. We've seen 20 years of how the early church started. And if you remember kind of context where we've been, uh, the, the, the church just settled this debate about what does it take to be a Christian? They said very clearly, to be a Christian, it is grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. That is all you have to do. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be a, be a good person. You don't have to jump through all the hoops to become a Christian, it is simply putting our faith in Christ alone. And this was good news. Paul and Barnabas, who we've been talking about in the last couple of chapters, they're ready to go and take this message out to these other churches. They planted these churches. They want to go back and encourage the churches and give them this news. Listen, salvation is by grace alone and not anything else. And they're excited to go. Remember last week, though, uh, in the middle of them getting ready, they had this paradoxism, this sharp disagreement, this fight broke out because Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark and Paul said, no, I don't want him to go. They end up separating into two different groups. 
And as we look forward from Acts chapter 16 onward, we're not going to read about Barnabas. We're not going to read about Barnabas again. We're going to read about what God is doing in and through the Apostle Paul through the end of his life. Now, chapter 16 is fascinating because I think this chapter gives us insight to that question that we, I think, all have naturally. God, what do you want for my life? How do I know your will for me? What are you leading me to? And maybe you read this chapter and you're like, I don't see it. Like, where do you get that from? But here, Paul and his companions, again, they're getting ready to go on this missionary journey and through a number of ordinary and extraordinary ways, we see God guiding them. Getting them from Asia Minor into Europe to a riverbank outside of Philippi to a woman named Lydia that God is going to use to to help plant the church in Philippi. And what this text is going to teach us is, is, is that God guides, God gives us his guidance loud enough for us to hear when we're willing to open our ears and willing to listen. So we'll jump in. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul has already got his missionary journey. He's got Silas with him. And as they're getting ready to go, Paul's like, we need another person on our team. And so it says in verse 1 that Paul came to Derby and Lystra to a disciple there named Timothy. Timothy is a young man that, that Paul probably met on his first missionary journey when he went to Lystra. And he's coming back, and it says in verse 3, Paul wanted to bring Timothy to accompany him. And Paul took him, and listen to this, he circumcised him because the Jews in those places, they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, again, one of the things I love to do is when I'm reading Scripture, I'm like, I want to ask questions. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. They just settled this issue. You don't have to get baptized, I mean, excuse me, you don't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. So now why is Paul saying, Timothy, come with us, and we're going to circumcise you? Well, this wasn't a matter of salvation. Again, Paul just affirmed that message. It is grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. This isn't a matter of salvation. Paul, as he went on these missionary journeys, when he would go into a new city, the first place he would go to share the gospel is into the synagogues. He would go and talk to Jews. And Timothy was a half-Jew. His mom was a Jew. His dad wasn't. So he wasn't circumcised. And that would have been a stumbling block to the Jews. That would have been like, why are you a half-Jew, and why haven't you done this? And so uh, Paul circumcising Timothy had nothing to do with salvation. It was simply a pragmatic decision, pragmatically. Hey, let's remove a stumbling block so we can go and be effective in trying to reach the Jews. In fact, this is the principle in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9 says this. It said, Paul said to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? Why? To influence them for Jesus. Paul's like, hey, I'm willing to do whatever I can to connect with these people to make so. So guess what? Man, I could picture, I could picture Paul walking in the church and being like, hey, this is clearly a godly group of people. They clearly love the Seahawks. I could picture Paul wearing a Seahawks jersey, right? Could you picture that? He's like, hey, if this is going to be a stumbling block for me wearing a darn 49ers jersey, I'll take it off and I'll put the Seahawks on. I don't care. Because his goal was to reach people for Jesus by every means possible. So he says, Timothy, hey, we want you to be circumcised pragmatically just so that way we can be the most effective when we go and preach the gospel. So now that Paul's team is ready, 
They're going to go on this journey to encourage the churches uh, in this area. And as they're heading out, again, we're going to see God guiding this crew. We're going to see God leading this crew to God's plans and God's purposes. And this is going to be a lesson to us on, on how we find God's will. First thing on how we find God's will is God, God's guidance comes through ordinary obedience. It says verse 6, they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatian, uh, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to pe- speak the word in Asia. This Asia is actually Asia Minor. You might think about Turkey is kind of where it would modern be. Now, we say that. We say God's guidance comes through ordinary obedience. And I know the question is, well, what's ordinary about that? Well, let me ask you this. Does anybody remember, anybody remember what God's call for Paul was? What was God's call on Paul's life? Remember on the road to Damascus where Paul sees this bright light and God speaks to him? Remember what God said to him? God said, you're going to be, uh, 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 you're going to be a preacher. You're going to take my name to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the Jews. You're going to be a preacher, right? This is why Paul's going on these journeys because God had called him to be a preacher. So the question for Paul wasn't a matter of whether he's going to preach or not. The question for Paul was, where do you want me to preach? Paul understood what God was asking him to do. It doesn't matter where he was. He was going to do what God had called him to do. Do you realize that like 99% of our life is made up of just ordinary things? Most of our life is just ordinary. We wake up in the morning. We make our coffee. We get the kids ready for school. We get them out the door. We go to work, we put in our 10 hours a day, we come home, we make dinner, we play some games with the kids, we throw the TV on, we watch something on TV, we climb in bed and we start searching through uh, memes and things on our phone and play games until we fall asleep, and we get up and do the same thing again and again and again. This is what life is about. And if you want to know the, how you find the will of God, what God wants you to do, so many times we are looking for that mountaintop experience. We want God to, to part the clouds and, oh, here's what I have for you. Man, the, first, the reality is the first step to understanding God's will is to do what we already know that God is asking us to do. The first step is just to say, God, what is it you're asking me to do right now in front of me? And I'm just going to be obedient in that. You know what that means? You know, if you're a student in this room and you're like, yeah, man, God, what is your will for me as a student? Listen, God's will for a student is that you do your homework and you do your homework well. Well, I'm a teacher. What's God's will for me as a teacher? Listen, if you're a teacher, God's will for you is that you do your lesson plans and you show up to school the next day ready to teach. What's God's will for me as an accountant? God's will for you as an accountant It's that you do the books and you do them well. Well, I'm a mom of toddlers. What's God's will for me? Listen, if you're a mom of toddlers, God's will for you is to to clean dirty noses, to to give naps, to have patience and tantrums. Wives, you you know what God's will for you as a wife? It's to clean dirty noses, to give naps, and to have patience in their tantrums. See what I did there? Husbands, you want to know what God's will for you is? To work hard to provide for your family, to serve and to sacrifice, and then climb into bed dead tired every day and get up and do it again. This isn't 
extraordinary. This is just ordinary. And this isn't, this isn't like a difficult thing. This is just saying, man, God, this is where I'm at. This is what you've put in front of me, and I'm just going to be faithful in those things. God's already answered. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says this. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I mean, so often we want to be here when you're like, I want to live in this mountaintop experience, and God, give me some great grand vision. But God simply is saying, man, would you just be obedient in the ordinary? Man, you got a job, show up and do your best. You got kids to take care of, man, show up and do your best. You've got a spouse, show up and do your best. Your students, show up and do your best. I mean, why would we think that God's going to show us his plan for the future when we're not actually willing to obey him in the, in the present? Yeah, if we're looking for God's will, the first thing for us is, man, just to be obedient in the ordinary. Number two, though, God's guidance comes through changing circumstances. Read this, verse 6. As they went through the region, uh, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. By passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit forbid them. And it said in verse, uh, verse 7, that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. How did that happen? How did the Holy Spirit forbid them? How did the Spirit of Jesus uh, uh, not allow them to go to this other region? We don't really know. Maybe, uh, maybe God caused the road to be washed out so they couldn't actually physically go. Maybe there was a prophet who came and, and delivered a prophecy and said, hey, God told me to tell you you're not supposed to go to this place. Maybe they're praying and they have this just strong impression from the Lord, hey, we're not supposed to go to this place. Maybe the voice of God, hey, don't go to this. Like we don't, we're not told how God forbade them. It just says they forbade them. And somehow Paul and his companions concluded, man, Lord's clear, he doesn't want us to go to Asia. He doesn't want us to go to Bithynia. Now, here's what I believe is happening. I believe that God is revealing his will through changing circumstances. I mean, we picture Paul. Paul's like, hey, here's my plan. My plan, we're going to go to Asia. We're going to go to Bithynia. We're going to preach the gospel. Those people need the gospel. We're going there, and God's like, hold up. I'm going to prevent you from, I'm going to close the door so that opportunity isn't available to you. I'm going to close the door so you can't go where you want to go. You ever had that experience in your life where you've got your plan all figured out? You've got, man, I've got this future figured out. Here's the steps I'm going to do. Here's where I'm going to go. I've got all these plans. I'm convinced this is God's will. I'm convinced this is what God wants for me. Then all of a sudden, the circumstances are changed. And it's like, man, what are you doing, God? You know, you get your dream job, the job that you dreamed about. Oh, this is going to be the great, the, the best thing. And then your boss calls you in and it's like, hey, we're downsizing. And I'm sorry, but your job's been eliminated. But God, I thought this was your will. Or as a student, student trying to, uh, you apply at your dream college. The college is the best fit for you. And you're like, man, I'm convinced this is God's will for me. And then you get the letter that says, hey, you're an excellent candidate, but our incoming class is already full. We're sorry, we don't have space for you. Or you start dating that person. Or maybe you're not dating them. Maybe you're just stalking them on social media. And you're like, man, I'm convinced I'm supposed to be with this person. And they're like, yeah, I'm not interested in you like that. 
because they're changing circumstances. In fact, years ago, I remember uh, there was a pastor friend of mine and a uh, uh, guy I loved, a guy I respected and mentored me. And uh, he came and said, hey, Kevin, we'd love for you to come on staff with us. You know, we're, we're thinking about this. We're dreaming about this. You know, we're going to create a position just for you that use your unique gifts. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I'm like, we started putting this five-year plan. This is where we're going. And pretty soon, some circumstances changed in the church, and they, they ended up hiring somebody else. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, God, this was the plan. Like, like God, it was clear. This was what you were doing. And God changed the circumstances. He closed the door. And guess what? After a couple months later, all of a sudden, the opportunity to plant Restoration Church became available. And I'm like, wow, God, I guess you did have a different plan for me. See, Proverbs 16.9 is maybe one of the most profound verses in all of the Bible. It says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In our hearts, we, is, we plan our future, we plan our steps, but God is the one who determines our steps. See, what we call circumstance is often simply the sovereign hand of God in our lives. And that's Paul. Paul, I'm going to Bithynia. I'm going to go do this. In his heart, he's made his plans, but the Lord determines his steps, and the Lord closed the door. See, we get these circumstances in our life, good circumstances, bad circumstances, and they're often simply God opening or closing a door to guide where he wants you to be. Number one, if we're going to follow God's will, it's going to be Obedient in the ordinary. Number two, we're going to look for changing circumstances. Number three, God's guidance, it may come through supernatural events. Verse nine, Paul had a vision during the night. And there was a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is often referred to as a Macedonian call. Macedonia was actually in Europe. And this is a significant step in the book of Acts because the gospel had been, the church had been in the Middle East, it had been in Asia, and now the gospel is being taken into Europe and eventually to the ends of the earth. This was a big step for the church, that God was gonna take the gospel out of Asia and into Europe and through the, end of the, uh, through the ends of the earth. Can I just acknowledge that sometimes God speaks this way? God speaks through dreams and visions and supernatural signs. I don't think it happens all the time, and I don't think it's one of those things that we should demand signs from God. But God is God, and God can certainly do whatever he wants, and we believe God can speak through these ways. And let me throw this little caveat in. Sometimes when we start talking about the supernatural, be clear, God doesn't contradict himself. And so if we're praying and God gives us a, a sign, listen, God, he never contradicts his word. So if you're like, man, ha, God called me to, you know, divorce my wife and marry this other person. Listen, God doesn't contradict himself. He wouldn't lead you to do something that is contradictory to his word. So as we're having these opportunities to see God speak to us, we gotta make sure these things are clear with who God is and what he says in scripture. But I do believe God can guide us through supernatural events. Last one, number four. When we're seeking the will of God, guidance comes through community. Notice verse 10, after Paul had this vision, it says in verse 10, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach to them. Notice that? 
we, we, concluding God called us, means that Paul took this discussion and invited some other people in. He invited his companions, invited some, some mentors and said, hey, have a conversation with me about this. Here's, here's our, our, our uh, uh, ordinary things that God's called us to do. He's called us to preach. We get that. We're supposed to be witnesses. Okay, we got that. And then here's, here's, here's the changing circumstances that God brought into our life. And, and here's the vision we had. And, and now we're gathering together to say, what does this mean? Do you think this means God is calling us to go and preach in Macedonia? And they came together and affirmed and confirmed, yes, I think this is exactly what God is doing, and he's leading you in this way. Listen, when we're seeking the will of God, we've got to have an idea that there's, man, there's, there's, there's this power in community where there's fact that we can say, hey, let's look at these things together, pray through these things together, and process these things together. It's a great opportunity uh, to say, hey, join a life group. Jake talked about it today. There's groups starting this week, uh, women's Bible study, a leadership group, life groups. Man, we'd love for you to make a commitment to be around some other people because as you're trying to discern what God has for you, it's benefit to get some other people around you to say, man, we see this. We confirm this. We affirm this. We see the same thing. We think this is what God has for you. And as a result, Again, Paul and his crew, they're like, hey, we feel God is leading us this way. As a result of their obedience, they traveled to Philippi, which was a leading city in the region called Macedonia. And on the Sabbath, they go to uh, uh, the place of prayer. They go to the place of prayer, and they meet a woman named Lydia, who is a successful businesswoman. And Paul preaches a message. In verse 14, it says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what he said. And she was baptized as well as her household. You know what I love about this story? Beautiful. Beautiful story because Paul, uh, man, Paul had faced some incredible uh, persecution on his first missionary journey, right? I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. Like, he faced this incredible persecution. But here is he seeking God's will, trying to follow God's guidance in his life and leads him away from Asia. Leads him away from those places he had already been. Leads him to Europe, to Macedonia, to Philippi, to the riverbank, to a woman named Lydia, whose heart was already soft to the gospel. God led him through these places to speak to Lydia. And Lydia gives her life to Jesus and leaves her whole household to believe in Jesus. And guess what's going to happen with Lydia? God's going to use Lydia including her gifts and her wealth and her, her privilege and her status. God's going to use her to be a part of that church planting team in Philippi to plant a church in the city of Philippi. She's the first convert. Why? Why did God do that? Because Paul and his companions were soft. They were moldable. They were willing to trust God. They were willing to open their ears to God's leading through ordinary and extraordinary affairs, willing to say, hey, man, God's closing the circumstances. God's changing the circumstances. Instead of me being uh, uh, stubborn and plowing through, I'm gonna trust, man, God's leading me somewhere else, and he's leading me to this place. In fact, I think this is the, I made the siren come on right now because this is where I tell you the big idea for the message, right? Duh! Sorry. I'm distracted. Uh, uh, here, here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to know this te text is teaching us. That God speaks his guidance loud enough for those of us with willing ears. Listen, when we're seeking the will of God, man, I think he gives us his guidance 
But the question is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to follow and obey where he is guiding us? I mean, think about this. When's the last time you played with Play-Doh? Again, we're talking elementary school today, right? Some of us, it's been a long time since we've played with Play-Doh. But you remember in Play-Doh, you'd pull it out of the can and it's like cold and clammy. But you could make anything you could. You could make anything out of that Play-Doh. Now, I wasn't very creative or, uh, or, or artistic. Like, I'd have friends, and they're like, look, I made the White House, and it's a full replica with columns and everything. And they're like, hey, I made uh, the Statue of David, the PG version of it. Like, like, it's perfect, right? It shows everything. And me, I'm like, um, I made a baseball. I made a pancake. I made a, like, I just wasn't very creative, right? Some of you understand where, where I'm at. <laughs> but what happens with Play-Doh when you leave it out for a couple of days? It dries up. It becomes hard and brittle. And you can't make anything out of it. It just falls apart. You can't mold it into something. And I think the, pro- I think the problem with us trying to discover God's will is too many of us as Christians, we've become hard and brittle, brittle and unbendable. But when God's tried to lead us, we're unwilling to follow because we're not bendable anymore. We've made our own plans. We're set in our own ways. We've got our own agendas. We've got our own desires. And sure, God, I want you to bless my plans for my life, but we're so consumed with my plans, we're not willing to follow what God has for us and where he might be leading us. And we do those things where we start having these questions. God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want in my life? I've got a decision to make. God, what direction do you want me to go? What job should I take, God? What, what school should I go to? What career should I pursue? Which person should I marry? And those are important, significant things. And I do believe that God guides us in those things. But more importantly, are we faithful to God in the simple things? In the ordinary things that God has put right in front of us? Are we willing to follow him in those things? I mean, Scripture says the will of God is that we be sanctified. That word sanctified simply means that we become more like Jesus. Are we obeying God in that simple statement? Are we gently loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we willing to love our neighbor as ourself and put other people's needs above our own? Are we pursuing a knowledge of scripture and prayer? Are we making those things a regular habit in our life? Are we committed to the community of God, the church that God has given us? Are we humble and depending on the Lord? Are we willing to confess sin and acknowledge sometimes we do dumb things and God, I'm gonna confess that because I want to follow you? Are we living out the Christian life? These are the simple things that God has put right in front of us. And we want God to answer these big questions, and God's like, would you just be moldable? And would you listen to me in these simple things? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think that means when we show ourselves to be 
bendable. We show ourselves as being, man, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll follow you today. I'll be faithful in the little things. I'll live obediently and faithfully for you. And you know, as we start being obedient in those things, I think God's guidance on those bigger questions become just so much clearer for us because we're already listening. We're already in tune with what God has for us. That pretty soon God begins to speak to us and it might be through ordinary circumstances. It might be through changing of our circumstances. It might be through some supernatural thing or it might be through community. But man, when we're being obedient and the ordinary, that's when I think God begins to speak clearly in those other areas of our life as well. Let me close with this. I think one of the things that sometimes we get confused about is we think if we're in the will of God, we think if we're in the will of God, we'll have it all figured out. There'll be perfect clarity. And we want clarity. We want God. We want to know how everything's going to work out. We want that perfect clarity to know that everything's going to work out good and that life's going to be easy. But that's not the way the will of God works, right? And Paul and his crew, they're going to go into Philippi and they're going to go preach at the riverbank to Lydia and it's going to be awesome. But you know what happens after this? You read the rest of the book of Acts. Paul's going to face increased opposition and persecution and arrests. And Paul's going to be martyred for his faith. Because he's following the will of God. Knowing the will of God is not about clarity. It's about trust. That when we can say, God, I'm following you, we can trust the things that God puts in our path. Story about a guy by the name of John Cavanaugh, who's a professor, philosophy professor. And uh, in the 1970s, he was serving in Calcutta, serving the poor. And he was dealing with this debate, what do I do with my future? Do I go home, become a college professor, or do I stay in Calcutta and continue to serve the poor overseas? Debating with that question, God, what do you have for me? And he goes to Mother Teresa. He says, Mother Teresa, would you pray for me? Mother Teresa says, sure, what do you want me to pray for? He says, well, I've got this decision to make and I want to know God's will. Would you pray for clarity? Mother Teresa said, no, I'm not praying for that. Kevin, I was like, what do you mean? Like, why wouldn't you pray for this? Like, I always assume, Mother Teresa, like, like in everything you do, I assume you had clarity. Like, why wouldn't you pray for clarity for me? Mother Teresa said this. She said, I've never, ever had clarity. I've only had trust. And I'll pray that God gives you trust to follow him. Listen, as we think about God's guidance in our lives, whatever decision that's in front of us, things that are heavy on us, man, you may not know how tomorrow's gonna turn out. Are you willing to trust him? that as he's organized the steps in your life, the circumstances in your life, to say, this is where I'm, I'm leading you. Are we willing to trust him?